looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up, Crazy Train Radio? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Don't mess with me, I'm one crazy mofo. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hi, everybody. This is Marianne Hagen, and I am... Happy and thrilled to be on Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in a podcast world. Croc, Jonathan Steele. 
And boy, do we have a good one for you today. Well, this is quite interesting, and we've been chatting here a few minutes prior to officially starting. But this girl, or lovely lady, I should say, is New York born and bred with a wide range of interests from all the reading I've done, whether it be writing, she's done some journalism, folks, politics, acting, you name it. She's dipped her toes in it. She actually pursued her education at Duke University and earned her BA in political science. Most of our fan base, anyway, know this guest as Kara Strode in 1995's Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Marianne Hagen, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. So, obviously, we were talking there about this whole COVID and productions and just everything going on. How have you been handling everything that's been happening? Well, you know, just taking it one day at a time, you know, it's um, been quite, quite a ride. Uh, you know, when our whole industry shut down March 12th, and uh you just everyone was kind of stunned and we just were like putting one foot in front of the other we got to wear a mask six feet social distancing which i like to call physical distancing okay because social distancing becomes too depressing when you're like i'm socially distancing myself from people i, I just like to say i'm physically distancing myself from people you can still be social and and six feet apart you know, and just doing those things. And, you know, New York, we got hit really, really hard. And we were in shelter in place for a while. And uh, we just stayed at home. And I live alone. So it actually wasn't quite that different from my regular life, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, just stayed home alone. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, went to the grocery store only when I needed to, went to the pharmacy only when I needed to, and binge-watched a lot of television. I'd never seen Ozark and got to see all four seasons, which was mind-blowing. Now, I can't wait for the next season, but apparently it's, it's not going to be on for a while. Um, which is so unfair. I hate when they do that. Um, and I have two uh, elderly parents who fall into the uh, very vulnerable category. My, my dad has Parkinson's and my mom has issues. So, and I live kind of close to them. So I've been trying, you know, I try to keep an eye on them. I would go in, I would wash my hands for 20 seconds. I would speak in a mask. I would stay like at the door of the room they were in. But, you know, I had to do errands for them and just sort of taking care of my parents and binge watching TV and talking on the phone a lot and watching Governor Cuomo's you know, update every day at noon to see how many people have died, where we are on the curve, blah, blah, blah. And um, now, you know, back then in April, we just thought, oh God, it's gonna be, at least we'll have a summer. It might come back in the fall. 
but we'll it'll all die down. We'll have a summer, and it never happened because people didn't listen. No, people didn't listen, and like Iowa is going through what New York went through in April. California um, was the same way too. California was the same way. Florida hit, but, got hit. Yep, and then like, but like, because there was no national, federal instruction on how we all as Americans need to behave to wipe this thing out and get it under control state to state they were doing what they wanted to do and you know thinking oh it's in New York it's never gonna come here and sure enough a few months later it would go there and starts out small and then the next thing you know it there's thousands of cases and um, it's really been a travesty because as we know, it was completely unavoidable. Yeah. And it was completely avoidable. Sorry. No, no, totally. Can you hear me? Okay. By the way. Yeah. Heard, heard okay. you. Perfect. I'm, okay. You know, I'm talking into the speaker of my phone. Okay. Yeah. No, but okay. it's just funny that you, you hit it on the head there and I was a history major and whatnot and somewhat into American politics and uh -huh presidencies and all that fun stuff and that's a whole different conversation we can have currently <laughs> but that you hit it on the head i think with no national hey we're shutting this down for six weeks what whatever the case is i'm not smart enough i'm not a doctor or nothing but you know there was no clear-cut game plan to say hey this is what we're gonna do and you know to kind of curve it yeah. Well, is considering masks was the oh, and physically distancing were the only tools that we knew could um, slow the spread. That's what everyone needed to do. And, um, you know, before we get a vaccine, before we get therapeutics, everyone had to wear a mask and so and, and physically distance. And people just didn't do it. I mean, New York did it pretty much and was really careful and now we're doing great. I mean, the, the positive, percentage positive is below 1% every day. But, you know, you're just worried like to heck about all these other states you see going through it right now and it's so unnecessary. And, and then it's just destroying the economy. We could have had this thing contained. We could have gone back to work, back to restaurants, back to museums after what? Two months, maybe, and and think, yeah. yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, wearing masks still and and stuff, but just get have the economy going. I mean, places have been shut down for six months. It's just devastating. So many small businesses are just not going to make it, and it it's just we're going to see the uh, ripple effects of the the coronavirus on the economy for years, mm -hmm. and it didn't have to be this way. Yeah, and and 187 million uh, thousand people maybe maybe didn't have to die. A few people, yes, but, but not where we're at. Not where we're at. No way. No way. Well, you mentioned that before we get into the fun stuff uh, about your folks. How are they handling everything that's going on? Because, like you said, they have some uh, risks or things that put them at risk. Right. Well, they, well, basically, they have conditions where if they were to get COVID, that's it. 
good night. You know, there's no coming back. So just trying to keep them in a bubble. New York has opened up a lot and like gyms opened up last week. And, Same for um, me in Jersey. Well, right. Okay. So, and so just like, I take my dad, he does like this, uh, boxing for, uh, Parkinson's at this gym and he's starting back doing that. And I've taken him to doctor's appointments, uh, me or his age, take him to doctor's appointments. But you know, let's basically March, April, May, June, they were inside. Like they did not poke their nose outside. Um, and we were super, super careful, especially with packages, like notes on all over the doors, like deliveries, please ring the bell and leave the package outside the door. Thank you so much. Stay safe and healthy. Best the Hagens. And, you know, we'd have to put the stuff in the garage and let it sit for a day. You know, if it was cardboard, deliveries, stuff like that. I think now we know that the virus doesn't love soft surfaces like anything like cardboard or paper, but it really likes hard surfaces like metal and plastic. Mm -hmm. But we didn't know that back then. So we were being fanatical about mail and deliveries. Exactly. And, you know, it's just one of those that uh, we were learning as we go legitimate yep. answers as far as, and I like to, I joke about it, but it's also serious uh, with the dry sense of humor I tend to have it is I like to tend to listen to people who may be working in science or doctors or people who deal with this stuff day in day out yeah like you know someone who's like you know uh the number one infectious disease point person doctor in the united states dr fauci i like to listen to people who actually know something about um a contagious virus like this and have dealt with numerous ones in the past and who actually know what the they're talking about yeah i know it's a strange I like, concept. I like to deal with those people yeah i know it's strange concept dealing with folks like that you know it is it's bizarre you know i don't i don't know why i don't know why i want to listen to those people but i do like like i always like i uh say with that again same dry sense of humor if you or me were to break a leg right now or have a heart attack or you know something like that you wouldn't tell the doctor how to treat it would you nope and i wouldn't like let's go on facebook and and look at ways to treat it no you would ask the people who know what they're doing to take care of you yep that's what i would do i know it's a stretch <sighs> it's, well yeah it's, people call me weird like if i break my leg i want an orthopedist to to set it and to maybe do surgery on it because an orthopedist is the doctor whose specialty is bones um but a medical doctor you know yeah. um that, that's that's my preference but that's just me you know what, what in the blue hell's wrong with us <laughs> we're weird right yeah <laughs> dealing with people who are uh, i wouldn't take my i wouldn't take my vehicle to a plumber yeah. You know. uh, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. But um 
hopefully we won't have that person um, leading the country anymore by November, but I'm not taking anything for granted. No, yeah, like I said. I'm too scared, I'm too scared. I mean, I had no clue how bad he was gonna be. Did anybody? I, I don't think anybody did, right? You know, I thought it was gonna be interesting Hmm. Businessman, da da da, and of course you heard stuff about him throughout the years. But you're going. At first, it was like every day I'd be like, "Really?" You know, something would pop up. Yeah. Every every couple of days, whatever the case may be, you go exactly. Really? But then I'm I'm at the point. It's just like I'm numb. Like totally. You, know, you could see me sitting here shaking my head, going, "No, nope, doesn't surprise me." Yep. <laughs> I know. Yeah, at this point. Well, the fact that he, he was suggested uh, injecting disinfectant into yourself for COVID, it, it, like that, you know, everyone talked about that for a day. And then like the next day they were on to something else. I mean, any other person in the world, if they suggested injecting themselves or somebody else with disinfectant for as a treatment for COVID, that person would be in like, serious trouble like we might this person might be mentally unstable and maybe didn't have their job of leader of the free world but it was because everything is so crazy with him it was just like oh well yeah he's mentally unstable but you know you know it's funny my brother-in-law is a family physician and when that came out i and of course he knows i am i Sent him a text going, so should I use Clorox or store brand bleach? (laughs) That is so funny. And of course, I got called an asshole and a few other nice choice words, but. Wow, that's funny. I mean, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, he he knew where I was going with that, so. Well, obviously. (laughs) But he goes, you're something else, but thank you for the laugh. No, seriously. I think that's hysterical. I wish I thought of that. I'm going to have to steal your jokes. It's all yours. Thank you. I'll give you uh, attribution. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, Well, before we get into the fun stuff, and we're already, holy shit, 15 minutes into this. but Okay. But uh, I want to say thank you to our friends over at SignatureHorror.com. Absolutely. Who hooked us up. Gotta say thank you to Gene. Gene is awesome. Gene DeRosa is amazing. And I just sent out my first batch of signed photos today with with the authentication photos with them. And um, he's just so easy to work with. And also it's an it's an amazing site. Like the different harm movie people that he works with who have their headshots up there that you can buy or a video message or you know lots of different things yeah i saw uh another from another franchise deborah voorhees she had some pretty cool uh what machetes that were custom made through that oh she was selling them well it was something that Jean has on the site. I'll send you a picture of it after we're done. But she was signing them and like but with the photos and stuff. It was pretty cool. So we were 
chatting about doing the uh, signaturehorror.com. And yeah, yeah, I'll send you that picture that uh, machete she's doing. It's kind of cool looking, you know. It's like a picture of her of her death scene. Yeah, it, like hand painted on there. It's pretty cool. Oh, like who did it though? Did I she don't know. do it? Oh wow, because that's I cool. I don't know. I'm sure we can ask Jean too where that idea came from. But either way, it's kind of cool to see. Really and, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's something different. Wow, I need to think about that. Like having my reflection in the knife because that was what was on the poster of Halloween Six, Halloween Curse of Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. Michael has a a knife, and I'm reflected in the knife. So maybe I can find an artist to copy the the image of me onto a real knife. So, Gene, if you're hearing this, uh, see what we can do about that. Let's make that happen. Here's a get, get, get right on that, Gene. Yeah. That? He, he's usually on top of things. But, hey, we'll, we'll humiliate you publicly to say, get on it. Get on it. <laughs> uh, it it's, could be worse. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You should, side, sidebar here. Uh, you should have saw he made a post about his social media and uh -huh. yesterday and yeah he, you know he how he's going a while away for a while well it was more people were going hi 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 you know all kinds you know and it's people you don't know yeah bug, bugging you yeah and don't get on you or you because you don't respond right away yeah and they're like so i said dude if i said he said about people will say hi like six times to me before i get a chance to respond you know, I'm running know. a business. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm living. Hello. My life. Yeah. You like you have a life. Yeah. How dare you have a life? So I, so I, be, again, being the smartest I am, I said, dude. So if I said hi eight times, would that bother you? Right on the public post. Yeah. So he go, he responds. He goes, eight's okay, but if you said nine, you were gone. <laughs> so what I did is I did. Almost like a two and a half men joke. I, I went, I said it high on the comments eight and a half times. I said, see, I didn't hit nine. That's so funny. Oh. That's so annoying. Like on Messenger, someone who you've never met in your life, ever, ever, ever met, don't know them from high school, from college, from grammar school, from nowhere, not from the business, not from making movies. Just someone who friended you on Facebook, and you're just like, oh, okay, sure. And then they start messaging you. And then this one guy I had to block because he would write, hey, or hi, Miss Hagen, or something, or oh, how are you? And like, if I didn't get back in five minutes, like I'm driving or something, um, he'd write, nice reply. Like was sarcasm. It a young guy? Like, I'm like, oh boy, sarcasm really works, idiot. Like, so I don't even know you. We have no inside joke about that. It's like, you know, in, in Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield said, you know, he used to think sarcasm was, you know, the height of humor until he got older and realized that sarcasm is the refuge of the weak. And I kind of agree with him because it's sort of like, 
what? Ew. And then I just would ignore it. But he kept doing that. And if I didn't get back like right away, he'd say, nice reply. Literally five minutes. I'm not like, it's not like I took 24 hours. It's not like I even took an hour. And I was like, you're out, done, psycho. Total I had, psycho. I had an agent been dealing with, it's like, I, and because you could see this, it's like taking this across the head in their response. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, and you don't even know them. Yeah, and you have like, no, you have no like moral or ethical or any obligation to like pull the car over or stop whatever you're doing. I don't even have to be driving. I could be on the phone with someone else. I could be doing, you know, doing something in my life. Like, I don't know, laundry, which takes me more than five minutes. And then I have gone back. I don't like have the phone surgically attached to my body. Mm-hmm. And it's so rude. And then yeah. it gets real. It then it becomes very. Um, it's not even passive aggressive. It's aggressive aggressive. Yeah, that's how it became with this. Uh, in like recent interaction with an agent, and about a town coming on, and yeah. it was like, it went from abrasive to aggressive. And I'm like, dude, it like the headache's not worth it. It's like, yeah, your guy, you, and I'm not knocking who he represents quote unquote right but it was like i told somebody i was telling somebody who's in radio over in england about it that i deal with and helps Mm -hmm. with editing from time to time and he goes well who who was the talent i told him he goes and he's pretty on the pulse both pop culture and sports and you know just everything from like the 60s on so he goes who so when he's going who i said yep thank you thank you he just when he said who it just proved my point exactly it's like that it's like that old thing where they say like well you know don't do that or you'll go the way of you know chad everly and people say who's chad everly and then they say exactly Because, you know, he made a mistake in his early acting career, and nobody knows who he is. But it's like, who's Chad Everly? Exactly. (laughs) Who? (laughs) What? Who's on? Who? And if you look look on my Facebook wall later, you'll see that I, because I dance around it, because I don't want to completely publicly bury, because it's not, in this case, it's not worth it. Yeah. You see that I shared the famous Who's on First sketch. Oh, that is because so good. I said, yeah, who, what? That whole, just that whole routine. That's I'm brilliant. Saying. My dad made us listen to that record when we were little kids. Um, we had a record of uh, Abbott and Costello, Who's on First. Yeah. And he made us listen to it. And I think as kids, we kind of, the humor went a little over our heads. My dad would be howling and we're like, okay, dad, it's funny. It's not that funny. But now as an Um, adult, you probably. (laughs) What? I said, now as an adult, you probably have a different thought process. Oh, as an adult, I think it's genius. You know, it's brilliant. Well, it's funny to, again, sidebar here. 
yeah. uh, took, you know, I'm a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And really? Yes. I was going to ask you about that baseball bat. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a softball bat there. But oh. All my good stuff uh, is out in the memorabilia room. But right. anyway, because of the whole who's on first there. First trip, I went up. And I've been a member of the Hall of Fame since 16. And when Mike Piazza, since you're a New York girl, yeah, went into the hall. Well, on the second floor there, it was a tradition until last year. Me and my father would go up. We'd drive up from the Philly area and spend a weekend during induction weekend. And we would just sit there howling at the who's on first routine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, it was on the video loop. For, next thing you know, we're sitting there for a half hour ago. I guess we should go across the street and get lunch. You know, just like we lose track of time. Right. Even well, if we it, watch it's, the it's same never, thing. It's, ne- it's never not funny. Yeah, exactly. But. So I bet you're pretty sad about Tom Seaver. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It was funny. I just did. Are you a Mets fan? No, I never met him, no. No, are you a Mets fan, though? <sighs> yes. I I was a guy who liked because he played in Philly, too. I'm an Orioles guy. Oh, okay. Okay. So I grew up watching Ripken. Gotcha. But I was also a Mets fan. But I always I got started liking them because of a guy named Tug McGraw, who played mm-hmm. the 69 Mets. Mm-hmm. With, with Seaver. Yep. So, and some guy named Nolan Ryan. and Yeah, know. of course. Nolan but, Ryan. <laughs> Hold on. Nolan Ryan. Uh, <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. yeah so- I, I I grew up in you know New York girl. I, I live outside the city now, but I lived in you know the city, the city for years. I grew up north of uh, of the city in Westchester County, and then I went away. Um. I went to the city in LA and the city, LA, back and forth, New York, LA for years. And then um, a few years back, I moved up here, back up here, pretty much back to where I grew up to be closer to my parents. And, you know, I'm really close to the city. So, you know, I could, I could just jump into the city if I had to, but then leave it when I wanted to, which was lovely. Yep. Because once you get older, I mean, the city, New York City is like not fun anymore. And then, of course, COVID. There, I was like, oh, thank God I'm up here because everyone I know in the city was scrambling to find a place to go quarantine. Like they were going. Like I have one friend who went to Cape Cod to quarantine with his mother. He's, he just got back. He left in March. He just got back yesterday. Okay, so that's six months. I mean, everyone had to go somewhere if you could. And then if you had no friend or family member with a place outside the city, you had to stay in the city. It was really hard, really rough. Oh, yeah. Really rough. But, you know, hey, blessings to Seaver's family. Yeah. Uh, with every, everything going on. But we were it talking about... It was a blessing about- that he passed away. He, you know, he had COVID. But he had a pre-condition uh, of uh, Lewy body dementia. Do you know what yes. that is? I've heard it's, of it. It's really close to Parkinson's. 
Um, and uh, it's the same family. And uh, it, he had probably gotten to the point where it would be a blessing if he went, because I also understand if he was fighting it for seven years. Mm -hmm. And um, it was probably to the point where it was merciful that God took him, you know? Yeah. But we were uh, obviously talking about Gene and SignatureHorror.com. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the movie itself, which is why you're here, uh, I found it interesting, and you can confirm this if possible. You haven't okay. done many. You haven't done many conventions when those were happening, correct? Um, no, I didn't. I, uh, I, I did one back in two thousand and three. The H two K or. 25th oh, it, reunion? No, no, it was, uh, it was for all, it was in Pasadena, and it was a convention for all the horror movies, because of being Pasadena, where they shot the first two. Yeah. And the original house and stuff. And I was already in LA. I was living in New York, but I was in LA, and um, I forget who got me to do it, but they were like, you got to come over to the Pasadena Hilton, you got to come over, we're doing this, and I was like, what? Um, so I just went over. I'd never been to a convention before. My mind was blown. And, and then I didn't do another one until um, my convention. Now I have a convention agent, Mikey Perez. Shout out to Mikey Perez. Hi, Mikey. Do you know Mikey? I know the name. Yeah. I haven't really done he, He's awesome. And he represents all of us in Halloween 6. And he, he put together these reunion, um, Halloween 6 reunion conventions. So back in, it was 2015? Is it that long ago? Or 2016? I can't remember. But it was just, it got, he got everyone together except for Paulie because Paul, Paul wanted to do the horror conventions. He thinks it's cool. But he was not allowed to by Disney. Um, they own his convention appearances because of ant-man mm -hmm. um so uh anyway so it was everyone except for paul everyone everyone except for paul paul being the only one people wanted to see and um and uh we did cherry hill monster mania we did indianapolis horror hounds and then we did baltimore monster mania as well Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, and we did those three. Well, since we're on that topic, and I'm sure since you haven't done a ton of those, what has probably been the strangest thing you had fans uh, ask you to sign? Well, this isn't strange. It's usually pretty straightforward. Yeah. But if this isn't strange, but... Um, a fan came up to me with a DVD copy of a movie I did called I Think I Do. And it was uh, an indie film we shot. It came out in 1997. And it was, it got a real following in the gay community because it was the first movie where there's a character that's gay and the whole plot of the movie is not about that the character is gay. He just is. And that's just 
that's just a natural part of the movie. That had really never been done before. When there was a gay theme in any movie, it was all about the coming out and the this and the that and all about that character being gay. And in this movie, um, the character was played by Alexis Arquette, um, the brother of, you know, David Arquette and uh, Rosanna and Patricia. Patricia. And um, sadly, he is no longer with us, very sadly. Um, but uh, he was brilliant in it. So this fan came up. I hate calling people fans, but then everyone else does. So I got, I got like used to doing it. Um, but this young man came up and he said, oh, my God, can you please sign this? I said, where did you get this? Because it was like totally out. Because this movie's not a horror movie at all. It's like just like a small, sweet, adorable little romantic comedy with a bunch of friends who get together for a wedding of one of their college friends. And, you know, madness ensues at the wedding. <laughs> and um, it's just really sweet and lovely. But he's like, oh my God, I love this movie. I said, where did you even find it? He's like, oh, I have my ways. And I signed that for him. But it was just, it was so out of context, you know, because here I am at a horror movie convention and I'm just signing, you know, photos over and over and over again um, of me, <laughs> basically. And it was really delightful because I loved that movie. I loved everything about that movie. I loved working on it. I loved everyone in it. We all got along like a house on fire. And it was just, it was fun. I don't get, no one asked me to sign anything strange, I don't think. Yeah, because I've heard some stories from folks, you know, where you look at them going, what in the hell? You know what I mean? Like, there's some doozies out there. <laughs> so luckily you didn't have any bad experiences. I, I didn't. I didn't at all. I had, I had a blast at all three conventions. Everyone's so nice. And, um, you know, everyone's really nice. Well, when things open up again, give Mikey a call or a shout. Yeah. Let's get her out some more, you know, to different shows. Well, apparently, any you know, people, um, fans of Halloween 6 kind of bug him about that. And, like, he's forced to say there just really isn't that big of a demand, unfortunately, for Halloween 6. It just isn't. Um, and when he got us all together... For those three reunions, um, that was kind of it. And I, I don't know. There's just we don't have a huge fan base. Halloween Six, or maybe well, we do, and I just don't know it. Yeah. Well, why would you think there's not a uh, huge fan base for it? Because that's what we were told. Well, what about the interaction you've, you know? Because I know you're on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. What's, what kind of interaction have you been getting from fans of the movie? Oh, really great. Really great. But it's, you know, it's like five people. It's not like hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, you know, I could be wrong about that. There could be a great demand. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I want to do some digging because as a fan myself, I, I'd be interested to know. So I want to do some. Let me Let me know what you find out, like, you know, call me, you know, not on, not doing an interview. Yeah, And no. let me know what you find out. No, I'll I'd definitely share that. Yeah, I'll definitely share that information. 
but when you first auditioned for the film, I heard yeah. you had the approach of not having a care of the world as far as trying to get that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what was that mindset like to not go in with not a care in the world? Well, it's great. It's really freeing. And I, I just, I was auditioning a lot at that time in my life because I was in my 20s and I was in Los Angeles and I had amazing agents and an amazing manager. And I, I was auditioning constantly for every different thing you could imagine. TV, all sorts of TV, films, every kind of film. Never, I'd never auditioned for a horror movie before, ever. And this is my first horror movie audition. And I remembered seeing Halloween one when I was young um, at, the, at a movie theater with my older sister who was in high school. She let me tag along with her and her friends. And we were scared shitless. And um, that's a whole other story something really freaky happened in the car and we all just were screaming our heads off because we had just seen Halloween one and like, you know, Michael is gone at the end of the movie and we were like, he's here, he's here. Um, but, uh, so I was like, I'm just going to approach it like any other audition, you know, I didn't know what I was supposed to do, what I was supposed to. I also was like, what horror movies have had become in the nineties was the cliche of like, you know, the girl with the big boobs, like running and screaming and she gets killed. And I just didn't think I had a chance in the world because that was not my, you know, look, so to speak. And um, so I just went in there like, fuck it. I'll just do it the way I think it's supposed to be done. And then I, I got a call back and then they called me and Paul to do a chemistry read which is when they, they're down to who they think they want for the female lead and who they want for the male lead. And they bring you together in an audition and they audition you separately and then they make you do scenes together to see if you have chemistry. And it was at that audition, because I didn't know, Paul wasn't famous yet. Um, he was just another actor banging around LA like I was. And when I, I was off to the side, I was watching him do this monologue into the camera and I was like, he's going to be a fucking star. He's going to be a star. No question. No question. Um, and here we are. Boy, you hit that one on the head. Yeah. But you know what? When we were on the set of Halloween 6, we hung out a lot. And he's so funny. So, And this role is like all straight drama. Like there's no laugh moment that's what i love about the screen movies you know mm -hmm. um but like there's there's just everything is like high-pitched drama at all times or like you know underlying seething scary uncertainty mood music happening at all times and then boom it's either a you know a kill or a jump you know scare or whatever uh but we were just hanging out, you know, on set and at the hotel, he was brilliantly funny. And I was like, you need to do comedy, man. You have to do comedy. Well, you know, it's funny and I'm totally ripping this off because I do have to say Marianne hasn't done a ton of interviews, but I so heard this on one of the ones I did hear her do. 
that since you brought up Paul, that yeah. you and Paul to not only have this in common, but you had the friends appearance. Yeah. I never, ever thought of that. But Paul was friends. He'd been friends with Jennifer Aniston, like, for a while before she even got famous. You know, she her first thing was Leprechaun. Which I heard today on an interview she did with Howard Stern. Kind of dreads that role. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, she looks quite different. Um, yeah. Little plastic here, littles there. Um, Teach yeah. their own. What? To each their own. To each their own. Yeah, exactly. Um, to each his own. Um, but uh, yeah, so Paul and I have that in common. So you mentioned there you thought when you were standing off to the side, he's going to be a star. What was it about him that you go, hmm, that it factor for you? Well, his eyes were so intense and just the way he was doing the monologue was so good. And he was unbreakable, unflappable, and totally prepared, um, totally committed 100% to the material. And it's just that X factor that you pick up on in people. Um, see that. Yeah. But, uh, you mentioned about uh, physical appearances with folks in terms of... Can you see but, me right now? Uh, no, it's... Hold on. No, it's only been uh, just a black background. Oh, okay. Because I, I, I can see you. Yeah, uh, you came only in as audio. Oh, uh, okay. All right. No, it's um, all good. Would you rather me be on video? Whatever you want to do. <laughs> See, this is um, what, see, folks, we're calling us on the fly. Uh, well, how do I? How would I get onto video? Uh, is there an option? Oh, I see. I see. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see how I could do that. Okay. See, um, we're all right. I, I, I'm in my pajamas. I have no makeup on, so don't make fun of me. <laughs> no. Wait. Hold on. There we go. Wait, it says, unable to access camera. Allow Zoom to access your camera yeah. from device menu, settings, privacy, camera. All right, that's too involved. I can't deal you with could that say right it, You could say allow, but okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm really not, I'm not good with tech at all. I, that's why I was so excited when, when it worked, when I, <laughs> I reached you on, on my cell phone through Zoom. I was so excited. Yeah, because, we're um. I, I just haven't done it before. I've done it on my laptop. Yeah, folks, and this is staying in. We're, we're calling this on the fly. Uh, so it's all good. But you were talking about uh, Lux for that time period there. And apparently I've heard this story told once or twice uh, that the Miramax thought your body was too thin and chin too pointy. Did that really make you self-conscious? All right, let me, like, explain that story because I okay. feel really bad that I said that in the uh, when I was interviewed by this guy, Mikey uh, Nichols, who later went on to direct me in Breadcrumbs. Okay. Um, 
which I've never gotten a residual for that. I'm wondering what's up with that. But anyway, um, uh, can you take a note of that and uh, get on that tomorrow? I'll, I'll check that out too. Into where, where, where the heck are my residuals? Because apparently it plays on stars all the time. But anyway, um, I feel really bad that I said that in that interview for the documentary about Halloween 6 that was shown. I guess it's in the extras of the, the documentary about the, um, about the Halloween movies. That, that the, 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 uh, Steph Hutchinson, who was the director, he was at the Pasadena convention. So he okay. took all that footage. And um, this is what happened. We shot Halloween in um, Salt Lake City for five weeks. We all go home. We see the cast and crew screening in the spring. We think that's the movie. We all walk away. And then over the summer, we get a call saying, you have to do reshoots on Halloween. And we were like, what? We were so, we finished that movie. We saw the, we saw the final cut. And they're like, nope, they're doing reshoots. Um, the test audiences, the 14-year-old boys and the test audiences mm. didn't think, they wanted more gore and they, they, they wanted a big blowout ending. Ending sucks, apparently, was a quote on one of the cards. And so we had to come back and we're in LA, we're doing reshoots in LA for a week and trying to match everything so the continuity works. And we're breaking for lunch and the guy who cast it, um, what's his name? Oh, Ross Meyer. He was like an old school, like Hollywood gentleman. And by that point, he had become sort of uh, Paul's manager. He had taken a real liking to Paul and he was managing Paul at that moment. So he came by the set and we're all sitting around eating lunch on a lunch break and out of nowhere, he says, darling, Marianne, you can thank me for this role. And he was the casting director, keep in mind, you know, a year earlier, practically. And I was like, uh, okay, why? And he's like, the Weinsteins, Bob Weinstein, or I said the Weinsteins or Bob Weinstein, they thought that you were too thin and that your chin was too pointy and i was like thank you thank you thank you so much that's great it's really good for me to know because you know what i've got a big scene coming up after lunch and i'm not going to be self-conscious at all um it was so bizarre because he of all people should know as a casting director and as a manager and anyone who deals with actors knowing how fragile they are because we're so ripped apart and picked apart all the time you don't say that so it was a very very bizarre thing for him to say and i'm not even frankly sure it was really true because he was a weirdo. Paul stopped having him be his manager like right after, like shortly after um, Halloween came out and which was like a month later. Um, and you know, he was a bizarre weirdo. He kind of talked like Vincent Price. 
and um, he, he, and he was older too. He's no longer with us because he was old back in 1995. Um, so yeah, it was bizarre. But so I don't even think that that really, I don't even know if it was true, but that's what he said. And I, I don't, I certainly don't think I'm too thin in it and I don't have any problems with my chin. It is what it is, you know? Well, with that story, can I, and I'm going to put it in here, but there's a famous quote from Fast Times at Ridgemont High from a, uh-huh. some guy named Sean Penn. Yeah. Where he says, You dick! And I think it applies here as treating you yep. like that. Exactly. I should have just said, You dick! and thrown my plastic fork down and stormed, <laughs> away, and stormed away from the picnic table. And stormed off, and you know, into the bathroom, and then like people are like, "Where's Marianne? We need Marianne. She's crying in the bathroom." Oh boy, would that have started some trouble? Oh yeah. <sighs> now that was back when I wanted no trouble. I just wanted everyone to be happy. You, you should have let that New Yorker come out and really. Oh, I'd let it come out in in more recent years. Yeah, I don't suffer fools gladly anymore. But when you're in your 20s and it's like your first big thing that you're doing, you know, your first lead in a feature film, you just want to be nice to everybody. You know, I used to have manners. I don't have them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we all get to that point. But Exactly. What you said about the reshoots and everything like that, is that because – would that be the main reason most cast and crew disown this film? Well, because, well, yeah, because it was just, um, it was very bizarre. Daniel wasn't on the set. Daniel Farron's the brilliant writer. Um, and he, he was on the set for a little bit in the original shoot, um, which is rare, actually. You know, it's the screenwriter usually is not on, on a set. Um, I think it's, uh, do you know the movie Atlantic City? Yeah. Uh, Louis Mal directed it, and the famous uh, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright John Guare wrote it. And John Guare was on the set, which was the whole time, the whole time. Louis Mal wanted him, requested that he be on the set, which was completely atypical. And he later said in an interview, yeah, because a screenwriter on a set is kind of like a hooker who's been fucked and paid who won't leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> cause you know, all writers feel like they've been fucked over. Right. Um, and you know, they, they, what they did to the script, blah, blah, blah. So it is rare. Cause, and then people don't like it, you know, it's sort of like, what are you doing here? We paid you like, goodbye. <laughs> um, but, uh, Anyway, it was just bizarre because we thought we were, we had seen the final cut of the movie. It was a big screening that had the credits and everything in it. And I'm not saying we were thrilled with that cut, which is the producer's cut of the movie, but it was like, I guess that's how it ended. Well, it's too bad. It could have really been amazing. Um, but uh, all right, it is what it is. And then when we got the call that we had to go back to do reshoots based on test screenings that they had 
in like the Bronx and Harlem and places, and it was all teenage boys. Why? I don't know. And um, and they just they wanted more gore, and they said the ending. The, a direct quote was the ending sucked. So, which you know, I don't think they're wrong about the ending not being what it was supposed to be according to Daniel Farron's script. Um, but we got behind in shooting because of snowstorms that weren't supposed to be happening in October in <laughs> Salt Lake Utah. City, in Utah, in Salt Lake City. And, you know, even, even there, I mean, it's like, even October is pretty, pretty early for us, uh, snowstorms, like down in the, you know, the city. Mm -hmm. um, but so certain compromises had to be made and that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. I mean, every independent film I've worked on, that's the case. And it's a miracle that any movie gets, gets actually made. It's a miracle. Um, and so we had to go back and we had to add violence. And the, 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 the notes we were given was every kill has to go from a one to a 10. So they reshot all the kills and then they reshot the ending. Um, like the last third of the movie, pretty much, and uh, you know, the 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 costume lady had sold the costumes. We didn't have anything anymore. The new costume people had to make replications of the costumes, and it was just it was a lot. I cut my hair. They had to put extensions in my hair. Paul had let his hair grow. And he didn't want to cut it again because, you know, when you're a guy and you've grown your hair, it's like a feat. And then having, yeah. so they, they, they came to a happy medium. They didn't cut it as short as in the original, but they definitely cut it shorter than how he had it at that moment. But if you're a keen-eyed continuity watcher, you'll know the reshoot scenes because Paul's hair is just a little bit longer. Yeah. But what you were saying there brings up two good points that I wanted to bring up because I don't want to keep you all night. Uh, okay. Well, you know, this is going great, so I can chat forever. But I want to bring up the original for what you signed on for the original script there. How close was that to the producer's cut uh, before you did the reshoots and everything like that? And when you came back to the reshoots, not reshoots, first day new mouth, uh, obviously Donald Pleasance had passed away. So very, much... very, very sadly. That was another thing, by the way. We were like, how can we do reshoots? Donald isn't even on the earth anymore. What are you kidding? Um, it was just like, it, you know, I think people, uh, their morale was not great on that yeah. set, to put it mildly. But uh, what about uh, how close was at least that famous producer's cut to what the script was when you signed on to what Daniel it, wrote? It was, it, was, it was close, but no, it was not. It was not. I think I've said this before. Um, it, uh, but if Daniel Farron's script had been shot page one to page... 98 or whatever it would have been instantly a classic and 
they started, Daniel was on set, I think for the first week or so, 10 days. And then he went back to LA and I was really, I was very upset when he left because he was my touchstone on the set. I was always asking him like, so what did you mean when you wrote this? And he, he has an encyclopedic knowledge of horror movies and Halloween in particular. And he would explain everything. Um, and he was just, you know, a genius. And, um, the director, you know, was doing the best he could. He was young, too, and he was, this was his first kind of big thing. But we got behind in the schedule, and when you get behind, they have to start ripping pages from the script and deciding, all right, do we really need this? Do we need this scene? Do we need it? No. Okay, out. A lot of them were Kara's scenes. <laughs> My character scenes, thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, my character was much more proactive in Daniel's version. Like, there's scenes of me going to the library, into the basement of the library, getting on a computer. You know, this is before there were, everyone had a computer in their hand. <laughs> um, and so I had to go to the library of my community college, and I'm looking up, and I, I find Thorn, and I do all this research on Thorn. And so when I finally meet Tommy Doyle face to face and he's explaining all this stuff to me about Thorne on the computer screen, I already knew all of it. So that was a different scene. I'm like, yes, I know. And it's blah, 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 blah. He's like, yes, but it had to become a whole different scene because I didn't, they, they, we don't have that scene of me doing my own research. So how to, how to play like dumb girl, like nodding and being like, oh, wow, you're so smart. How did you know this stuff? And um, uh, so scenes were ripped out and the ending really wasn't what it should have been or what it was supposed to be. It was, they asked on the set of, uh, I think I, I saw an interview or heard an interview with Daniel Ferenc who talked about this. Apparently, um, you know, the last night of shooting in Salt Lake City, they were on the phone begging Bob Weinstein, who was in New York, begging him for one more day, give us an extra day, because we were behind. And he said, absolutely fucking not. No way. So they had to shoot the ending at like 2.30 in the morning, and there was just no way they were going to be able to get the shots in. So they ended up doing some compromise that Paul and uh, the first AD and the director stood around and kind of came up with ideas and you know Daniel wasn't on set like if this happened today I know Paul would have been texting Daniel saying here's what's going on that we we are ending the film what the fuck do we do help us help us you know but there was nothing there were no text you can text there were there were barely cell phones this is yeah. this this was this, this was November of 1994 my god probably half your viewers hadn't even been born yet or our listeners, I should say. Yeah. Um, uh, hadn't even been born yet, but you know, in the old days. And uh, so people just had to do this. So they came up with the best they could come up with. But having said that, it's certainly closer than the, the theatrical release. Yeah. Because sure. I was, because I was going to say that you bring that up. And two things I'm going to reference this other interview I heard was two things that you brought up there. One was the cell phones, because you just recently got one when you 
or cast. I yeah, it was the size of it was size of a brick. Yes, and when you found out you got the job, yeah, you also went to something that I would know and be familiar with, but some of the younger listeners wouldn't. Something called a rental video rental store, like Blockbuster and yeah, places like Absolutely. that. Absolutely, Blockbuster. Yeah, went there to rent all the Halloween movies to do my homework, and. Although everyone said, don't rent three. It won't, it won't help you at all, and it'll just confuse you. Just rent one, two, four, five. And I'd already seen one and two when I was younger, growing up. And so I, but I rent, re-rented them, obviously, and studied them. And I especially studied one because that was definitely the, that benchmark. the vibe that that was the vibe that Daniel Ferenz's script was completely uh, paying homage to. You know, and it's funny because you bring that up about part three, and I'm a pretty good, got a pretty good pulse of the genre. You mm-hmm. know, especially you know your Halloween's, your nightmares, you know, Hellraiser, yep. whatnot. I think, and I don't know, have you ever seen three? No, no, I never have. It would have been one of those, you know, from at least my point of view, which is maybe, maybe you worked this 50 cents sitting here on a desk. Uh, it would have been good if it was just season of the witch and not with the Halloween brand on it. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I get why, you know, I've heard Tommy Lee Wallace and other people talk about that who were involved. Mm-hmm. It done well, you know, because the audience of that era, and even now it's found an audience, that movie. I'm sure it has a cult following, yeah. Yeah, but it, it, didn't, it didn't fit into that Halloween box, per se. Right. You know, so right. if it was... Yeah, I mean, even, even, even Donald Pleasance said... Don't bother watching three. It's like in outer space. It makes no sense. It's like no, it has nothing to do with Halloween. But I'm sure if it was a movie on its own, season of the witch, it, you know, you know what? I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it because yeah. now that you're now that you're saying that, I'm like now I'm really interested and in, in curious to watch it because if I think about it, if I watch it and think this is not Halloween three, this is season of the witch. Yeah, if you looked at it, you know, just. With the subtitle there, see, you know, it would it it would have found its audience anyway, right? You know, know, and within the horror genre, but yeah, uh, but the big thing where it says Halloween three, pop up up season of the witch, you go, that's why people shit on it, unfortunately. Oh yeah, yeah, because it didn't fit the mold of the franchise, so you know. But you like it, right? (sighs) Yeah, could. Like, I liked it for what it was, but like I Uh said, it was also, I try to carpet or separate it from, you know, because I know it wasn't part of that storyline. Right. Like you said, where you went and ran it one, two, four, five, then. Yeah. But we've talked, we've danced around the bush here a little bit, and his name has come up a couple of times. Donald Pleasance. Guy was a legend in Hollywood there for mm-hmm. many years. What was your yeah. experience in working with him? Just one of the loveliest people 
in the world. Um, we didn't know that he was sick, but it makes sense looking back on it because he did seem frail and he had his wife with him at all times who helping him and um, he really stayed in his trailer until he had to work. And then when he was on set, he was just um, a dreamboat and he had just such a wry sense of humor. So bone dry, made me howl several, several times. Um, like I was sitting in my director's chair uh, reading the magazine Vanity Fair, you know, which yeah. was really big back then. And uh, he sits next to me and he says, what are you reading? And I, I show him the, the cover of the magazine. And he says, ah, Thackeray's best. And I just howled because, you know, Thackeray wrote, the novel Vanity Fair, and it's a highly, highly intellectual <laughs> novel, uh, very, very different from the, you know, celebrity, you know, driven, uh, glitterati driven Vanity Fair magazine. And I just, it just, you know, if you didn't know about James Thackeray and you didn't know that he wrote that book, Vanity Fair, you would not get the joke at all. But I got, I got his jokes. But, uh, you know, we'll go there uh, since you brought it up. And I mentioned it in the intro there. You have a journalistic background. And uh, not, I mean, a, li a little, little bit. A little bit, yeah. But And you were actually going to – was that going to be your master's degree? That you was going to be my master's degree, yeah. I was accepted to Columbia – I was accepted to every journalism school, grad school that I got into, but I had fallen um, head over heels in love with the theater my senior year. I'd always been in love with the theater, but the idea that I could ever be an actor was like not even uh, a possibility. But then I started taking acting classes in college and I got really bitten by the bug. So being 21 and, you know, thinking I could do anything I wanted, uh, I deferred my acceptance to Columbia Journalism School and my dad gave me two years and he's like, if you, to, to pursue acting. And he's like, if in two years, nothing's, nothing's happened, that's it. You're going to Columbia Journalism School. And um, I got really lucky really early on. And I, I stress the word lucky because luck has nothing to do with talent. It's great if you got both, but if you have talent and no luck, we know a million actors like that, right? Mm -hmm. So like so many of my friends who are the most brilliant actors in the world, they just, they never got that lucky break. They couldn't get an agent because they didn't fit into something. You know, it's just, you got to be at the right, in the right place at the right time and all those cliches. And so in the first year, I, I was going to acting school at Circle in the Square um, theater school in Manhattan and I got an agent and I got my first speaking role in a movie and I got my SAG card and you know everyone wanted their SAG card you know yes. it's now SAG after but it, back then it was just SAG and um, I was going on auditions I was leaving school to go on auditions and stuff and then I just you know I didn't look back and you know it's just uh, went forward and then I moved to LA and spent you know 
five solid years in my, my uh, developmental years in Los Angeles, 1990 to 95, uh, young 20-something-year-old in, in Los Angeles. Well, speaking of which, uh, I'm curious to know, because I know you've done independent projects and... Almost all, all independent, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as your SAG, uh, I guess, membership, uh, yeah. how, how does that work when you do... Because I know some projects you need a SAG card where others... Yeah, I mean, how does that work? You can't if you if you're a member of the SAG union, you can't work on a movie that is not a, a, a SAG signatory, which means they have to sign. The producers have to sign a contract with SAG, and SAG has contracts for very low budget movies, and and they have different names. So basically, you can treat and treat the actors like shit and pay them like they're nothing, um, and it's totally legal. But you have to sign that contract with SAG and if if a movie is non-SAG you a SAG member is not allowed to work on it and if you are caught or reported to be working on a non-SAG production uh you could lose your your membership okay because I know some folks who had uh worked in other forms of entertainment that might not yeah. have unions and such but they would get cast into something and get their SAG card, and they're like, "I'm golden." I said, "Why do you?" I was golden. I said, "Why do you say that?" He goes, "The couple of folks would go, I got my health insurance. Screw there, you not wanting a union." That's not true. You can't. You can't have. You don't have health insurance through SAG unless you make a certain amount of money. Yeah, but he was lucky enough to get a couple spots that he was able to get the. You know what I mean? He hit well, that. You have, yeah, like you. You get health insurance for six months. Yeah, he then, hit, but he hit that tier, what he was saying. Yeah. Yeah, SAG I, I don't have SAG insurance anymore because I haven't worked enough in the last few years, and I, I lost my insurance. That was devastating um, because, because it's, uh, it's really, really good insurance. Um, but thank God for the American, you know, yeah, that goes back to <laughs> I was going to say Obamacare, but one woman actually like she scolded me on the phone. She's like, "It's not Obamacare, care. It's the ADA, or no, it's the A. What, what is it? It's a American Health Care Act. What is it? Yeah, yeah. ACA, ACA, she, right? But it's like he was the one who helped, and obviously there was other people, and we talked about this earlier about history and whatnot and the political side of things but it, it's funny that yes there's been other people that helped hillary clinton for one and you know who championed health insurance for everybody but he was the one who signed it in so yeah it's obamacare yeah i know and um i Actually, I got into a really bad biking accident when I didn't have insurance. Oh. And it was, I lost my insurance uh, the end of April. And I was out in LA. And, and so I, it, and I hadn't gotten on the ball about finding new insurance. This is before Obamacare. Mm -hmm. And 
I hadn't gotten on the ball and like finding a, I didn't even know how to go about getting onto an insurance plan. You know, everyone has insurance. Most people, not most people, but a lot of people have insurance through their employers or the unions. Um, and if not, if you're a freelance person, you're kind of screwed, except not now. Um, but then, and so I didn't have insurance when I got into this really bad um, mountain biking accident. Um, and that was really rough. I mean, I, I had to, I went through my savings pretty much because I, it wasn't like, I actually didn't go to the emergency room for like days. And like, I, I was like, cause I was too scared about getting that bill from the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And finally I had to, I had to go and get x-rays done. And they were like, okay, broken hand. <laughs> you have a broken shoulder, dislocated and broken shoulder and a lot of other things wrong with your shoulder. And I had basically like a big hole in my knee, like where, um, where I, you know, I just went over the handlebars of the spike going downhill in this rocky Canyon out in LA. And, uh, they, oh, and getting that to heal was like, you had to do like wound therapy. Like you had to like, it had to heal from the inside out rather than when you get stitches where it heals from the outside in. Yeah. This, this is way too much information, but it was devastating. It was anyway, not having insurance is devastating. So everybody who's listening, if you don't have insurance, I feel you like deeply because I've been there and um, yeah, it's, it's not good. Yeah, and it's, you know, I'm not going to disclose it publicly, but I'll tell you the story later off the tape line. But I had a devastating health diagnosis years ago. Uh-huh. And, and uh, 10 days later, lost my job and had to pay. At the time, it was called Cobra. Right, and I, right. And I was uh, paying 800 bucks a month yep and out i'm barely, very familiar barely covered my yeah i mean what i was having to deal with and it was like oh just but it's funny because you mentioned about the open well f- first before i go here how you doing now with all after all that the hand and shoulder and everything oh oh yeah i'm fine i'm good now i'm good but it's, it took a while but yeah. good. thank you yeah, cause, but it's funny because I have a uh, three-year-old niece now. And oh. look, luckily, I, well, there's two two of them, kids. There's a the niece and the 18-month-old nephew. And he wouldn't be old enough to really remember it. But last year, and luckily I got insurance now. But I had a major back surgery and had some, like, ingrown you know, stupid stuff like ingrown toenails and stuff. And she's uh-huh. the niece who's three always every time, almost every time she sees me now, she goes, and obviously there was a little bit with this whole COVID thing that we couldn't be in contact, mm-hmm. but she, she always says, all right, let me see the toes. Let me see your back. Like she has to inspect the wounds. I said, you're going to be, a, yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. It's like, you're going to be a doctor. Her father's note, what I was saying earlier. She is not going to medical school. I am not paying for, you know, like (laughs) just knowing what he deals with. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I thought you're, I thought you'd be proud to have your kid do something 
She is not going to men. <laughs> That's so funny. How did your How did your brother in law cope with? Um, does he work anywhere near the hot spots in Jersey when when COVID was was exploding? Bergen County, Union County. No, we're in South Jersey. Okay. Uh, close, okay. Close. So you guys are a little. You're closer to Philly. Yeah, and luckily, well, teaches, but also works in family practice. For uh-huh. who he works for and he it's just one of those he's a nervous was a nervous wreck well they were calling in people like they yeah. could have called in your brother-in-law and said hey we hands on deck we need you at xyz emergency room he um because they were doing that up in westchester yeah he was ready for that phone call but was hoping not luckily he didn't get it but there's a lot of like tell it you know what i mean I think his brother did. Mm. Got a couple of those calls because, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Because his brother practices as well, too, but in a different mm-hmm. field. But it was right. Like, I know he, he was a nervous wreck getting that, you know, because he's like, not about doing the job, but it was more of, I'm afraid to go, depending on what I go see, you know, in those cases, like you said, people getting called in. I got two young children here at home. It, well, exactly. And that's, that was the nightmare for those doctors and those ER nurses and everyone on the front lines is they would come home after a 12-hour shift or a 24-hour shift. And they'd have to, like, undress in the garage and, and throw their clothes immediately into the washing machine and had to jump into the shower. They couldn't hug anyone in their family or be around anyone unless they completely cleaned themselves yeah. and, and their clothes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. It, it, it was really intense there. We were, we're beyond that in our areas. Right. But yeah, God, remember back in March, April, May, it was intense. I mean, it was very stressful for everyone, but especially people on the front lines yeah. who are our heroes. Yes. Thank you folks for, if we have any of those, tune into this thank you for what you did that's for sure impossible impossible to thank you enough but we we everyone loves you loves you loves you and you saved saved so many lives yeah and also thank you to those doing the research and trying to figure out you know the vaccines and i know we were kidding about it a little earlier uh when we brought up fauci and all those other folks but, you know, you got to thank those folks, too, trying to figure out the best way to treat this and handle it. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And especially when they don't have a supportive president who wants to keep them away. And now he's got a radiologist, you know, in his office telling him what to do. And it's a nightmare. It's a surreal freaking horror movie. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, yeah. Well, what that like that. That was a happy note to end it on. <laughs> Here you go. COVID nineteen. What a laugh! The global Here's, pandemic. Who cares? Yeah. Here, here you go. I'll, here, I got one for you. It, it'll be a little. <laughs> it'll be funnier though. Uh, here, here. I have to turn this around. There. Do you see that uh, poster on the wall? Uh, yeah, the light's reflecting off of them. Okay, so there is, in the room I'm in now, mm-hmm. 
uh, I have a poster of, and we're actually going to be doing a watch it all next week of this particular movie uh, for fans. But Texas Chainsaw 3D, that came out in 2013. Oh, right. Is that the one with Renee Zellweger in it? No, that was part two or three in the 80s. This one particular poster I got up on a wall. This would. The hell was that? Uh, Oh, something fell in the room here. Uh, But anyway, it was uh, Dan Yeager, if you're familiar with him. Mm -mm. No. Played Leatherface. I don't don't know anything, so that doesn't mean anything. Okay. So anyway, and it's a signed uh, 11 by 14 from the guy who played Leatherface, Dan Yeager. Okay. And, And my niece, from like two and a half on, she would come up and see me and go, you know, I'd be editing stuff or whatever the case may be. And she would go, is that guy a nice guy? Mind you, it's a 11 by 14 of Leatherface with a chainsaw <laughs> on his hand, right? Right. And, you know, signed by Dan and all. And, you know, it's a nice little piece there. And she goes, yeah. is, he, is he, yeah, I got a nice frame for it and all. She goes, is he a nice guy? And of course, I'm like, yeah, he's yeah, you know, trying to think on a fly for a two and a half year old. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful guy. He's great. Don't worry about it. She goes <laughs> right, like you know, just trying to downplay it. Of course, so, yeah, because I started watching horror at like three or four years old. Wow. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Cousins and my neighbors at the time, bad influence. <laughs> but no, but ain't gonna happen with this one. There's no way no. I can introduce. Right, whole different ball game. Yeah. So, so anyway, I go, yeah, he's a nice guy. Why? She goes. Then she looks at me and goes, because she's sitting there eating a candy or a taffy. Oh. She goes. She goes. Can I go downstairs and get him a taffy? Oh, that's so cute. Oh, it's hilarious. But I'm sitting there going, you, you, you can't. I said, you see that? She goes, yeah, that's a picture. Can you give pictures taffies? She goes, she thought about it for a minute and goes, no, you're right. I can't. But if I see the real guy, I'm going to give him a taffy. I said, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say to that? I'm like, oh, my God. That's kiddo. genius. Oh, I'm like, kiddo, if I ever come across, you know, Dan's a great guy. I said, if it ever comes across that I will deal with him again, which – in person, at least. I said, mm-hmm. I will make sure you go with me and you can give him that taffy. Oh, that's so sweet. She goes, okay. She goes, I can go with you? All right, I'm in. You sold me it going. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, uh, that's adorable. Out uh, of the mouths of babes, you know? That's, yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. There's, it's amazing what comes out of their mouths. But yep. Actually, I got one more question that I'm thinking about. We're talking about youngsters and everything else like that. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we're 25 years from the movie coming out, which is amazing. Yeah, this month. Yeah. Yes. September 29th is the 25th anniversary. Uh, Obviously, I know you got nieces and nephews and, you know, friends and family with younger members of the family. Uh Uh-huh. Have have you had some interesting conversations with folks 
that have the younger kids or your nieces or nephews about seeing projects, not just this one that we've been talking about, but stuff you've done in general, whether it be friends or who's the boss with that hunk Tony Danza? Um, I, uh, my nieces and nephews were kind of too young to see Halloween when it came out. And, uh, you know, I, I, my, my, my nephews saw it when they were like teenagers with their friends because it was on TV. On AMC, they, they do a Halloween marathon Mm-hmm. around Halloween and you know they were like kind of embarrassed because like their aunt I was like the hot aunt <laughs> with their friends you know and they were kind of embarrassed um and we were like they were like Mersey because that's what people in my family call me Mayor or Mersey Mersey we saw you in Halloween and I was like you did your mom let you and they were like well we just I don't, we didn't ask. We just watched it. It was on. And, um, all our friends were over and they were, they said you were hot. And I was like, I mean, I love the compliment, obviously, but, um, I was like, they're my nephews are, you know, I didn't want them, you know, now, now they're like 22 or something, 23. Uh, but this was 10 years ago when they were like 13, but Anyway, uh, no, none of them have ever said anything. They just tell me how great I am and like, you were amazing, Mersey. That kind uh, of thing. But, you know, it's funny because, uh, well, folks, she's still hot from pictures I've seen. So, no, no, no. All right, whatever. So, but, you know, it's funny because as you said that, oh, I was the good looking aunt and stuff like that. You, you know, kidding about that. I'm th- I was trying to think, but I don't think there is a term for it because sometimes you hear about people talking about, oh, hot moms or grandmoms and, you know, certain things. Yeah. I'm like, we'll have to figure that one out too. See, try to come up with one for ants. Well, they, they said, they, they told me, uh, my friend said you were hot. So it's the hot ants. Yeah. And you we'll never see that. anything. You never see anything about hot ants. We need yeah. to work on that. That's another one for the list. Yeah. Yep. So, well, well, we've spent a good chunk of time here talking. So thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much, Jonathan. This was a blast. I had really had a wonderful time. You're so smart and knowledgeable and interesting. And uh, this was really lovely. Well, as we wrap here, where can people find you at least on Instagram if they want to follow you? Oh, it's just uh, at Marianne Hagen 11. Right on. So folks, go ahead and go there. And you can check out um, some stuff if you're interested in buying some stuff. Um, you can check out her um, signature horror. Yes, Jean. And, yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, ask Jean Sarosa. But like, um, what's the website? It's signaturehorror.com, right? That'd okay. be correct. I got All it up right. as we speak. Just put .com after everything, and that's the website. And for those young kids that we were talking about that are not familiar with uh, video stores, what do you guys do? Facebook it. Yeah. Yeah, you can find them on there as well. Oh, me? No, I'm saying they can, those young kids can find it on that Facebook thing. Oh, yeah, that Facebook thing. <laughs> yeah, sarcasm coming out again. Yeah. So, 
Mary Ann, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. Have a wonderful evening and have a great Labor Day weekend. You too. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, this is Zach Galligan, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio.